MSW Media. Thanks to Delete Me for supporting the show. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash dailybeans and use promo code dailybeans at checkout. And thanks to Aura Frames for supporting the show. Aura Frames makes Wi-Fi connected digital frames that beautifully showcase your photos and videos. And Aura is having their best deal of the year. Right now, through Cyber Monday, you can save $40 on the perfect gift at AuraFrames.com slash DailyBeans with promo code DailyBeans. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, November 23rd, 2023. Today, the plaintiff's appeal application in Colorado in the case to keep Trump off the ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment has been accepted by the Colorado Supreme Court. The Georgia Supreme Court strikes a legal blow to the Republican law that would oust prosecutors they don't like. The FBI is investigating an explosion on the U.S. side of the Rainbow Bridge at Niagara Falls. A ceasefire has been brokered by the Biden administration in the Hamas-Israel war. A judge finds evidence that Tesla and Musk knew that their autopilot was defective, but allowed people to drive their cars anyhow. Another accusation of sexual assault against Tim Ballard emerges. And Project 2025 accidentally reveals some of their dark money donors. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Happy Turkey Day, my friend. And to you, um, I know we're going to put out another episode tomorrow, so people will hear some good things tomorrow as well. But of course, as you hear this on Thanksgiving, however you celebrate, I hope that you can find things that you are thankful for now more than ever. We just need we just need the gratitude and appreciation. That's what the holiday has always been about for me. Uh, family, good food, friends, and just gratitude. And love. Sending you all the love, Leguminati. Uh, if you have beans for your Thanksgiving uh, meal or your holiday meal, <laughs> you can think of us. Um, also, don't forget to take your MAGA relatives' phones and subscribe them to the Daily Beans. They love that, I'm told. Uh, back with me today later in the show is Mario Nicholas. He's counsel for the plaintiffs of the Colorado suit to keep Trump off the ballot pursuant to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. His appeal application has been approved by the Colorado Supreme Court. And they've got a pretty expedited briefing schedule. We're going to talk about that and the next steps and what's in that uh, briefing that he filed, uh, the appeal from the plaintiffs. Uh, and tomorrow, I'll be joined by John Fugelsang, uh, so you don't want to miss that. A couple of quick hits. Uh, a car exploded on Rainbow Bridge. That's uh, uh, the bridge at Niagara Falls, and it exploded on the U.S. side of Niagara Falls. We're still waiting to get more information as the FBI is investigating that. And... Project 2025, that ultra-fascist plan that the GOP has to install autocracy in a second Trump term, mm -hmm. accidentally revealed some of its donors, and it's surprising. Two liberal organizations, including the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation and the Omidyar Foundation. Omidyar contributed about half a million dollars to American Compass. That's an org that contributes to Project 2025. And the Hewlett Foundation, which, if that rings a bell, they're on NPR all the time, they give over $2 million. That's more than they gave to NPR or Planned Parenthood during the same time frame. It's very, wow. very confused about that. And thanks to, I believe it was Sullenberger at the Daily Beast for breaking that story. All right, we have a lot of news to get to on this holiday, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. 
First up, from the Associated Press, a temporary ceasefire agreement to facilitate the release of dozens of people taken hostage during Hamas's raid on Israel is expected to bring the first respite to war-weary Palestinians in Gaza and a glimmer of hope to the families of the captives. Israel and Hamas agreed to the four-day halt, which was announced Wednesday, and will also see the release of Palestinian prisoners held by Israel. The deal, brokered by Qatar, the United States, and Egypt, was made public as fighting intensified in central neighborhoods of Gaza City. Egypt's state-run Kahara TV channel said the truce would take effect Thursday morning, local time. It caps a week of fitful, indirect negotiations and sets the stage for a tense period that could determine the course of the war, which was set off by Hamas's October 7th raid and has killed more than 11,000 Palestinians, according to Palestinian health authorities. Hamas and other militant groups abducted some 240 and killed at least 1,200 people. Qatar announced Wednesday that Hamas will release 50 hostages in exchange for what Hamas said would be 150 Palestinian prisoners held by Israel. Those released by both sides will be women and minors. The hostages would be released in bursts throughout the ceasefire. Once the first batch is released, Israel is expected to free the first group of Palestinian prisoners. Those up for release include a lot of teenage boys detained during a wave of violence in the West Bank in 2022 or 2023, and charged with offenses such as stone throwing or disturbing public order. And that's according to a list of eligible prisoners published by Israel's Justice Ministry. Israel currently holds nearly 7,000 Palestinians accused or convicted of security offenses. Israel said the truce would be extended by, by a day for every 10 additional hostages released. Qatar said Israel would allow more fuel and humanitarian aid into Gaza. Um, and we have a little more details on that. Over 300 trucks carrying aid per day will be going in. Hamas said hundreds of trucks carrying humanitarian aid and fuel are to be allowed to enter Gaza every day as part of the deal. Supplies would also reach northern Gaza, the focus of Israel's ground offensive for the first time, according to Hamas. Israel's government statement did not refer to increased aid and fuel deliveries. Israeli Channel 12 TV reported that as part of the deal, Israel would allow a significant amount of fuel and humanitarian supplies into Gaza, but didn't specify how much. Israel has severely limited the amount of aid, especially fuel allowed into Gaza during the war, prompting dire shortages of water and food and fuel to uh, run generators. Israel is saying that Hamas intercepts these fuel deliveries and takes them for themselves. The fighting is expected to come to a temporary halt. Israeli jets and troops will hold their fire, while militants are expected to refrain from firing rockets at Israel. Hamas said Israel's warplanes would stop flying over southern Gaza during the four-day truce and for six hours daily over the north. Israel made no mention of halting flights, and it wasn't clear if this would include its sophisticated intelligence drones, uh, which have been a constant presence over Gaza. Thank you so much, A.G. This one's from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The Georgia Supreme Court said Wednesday that it won't approve rules and regulations for a new state commission empowered to sanction prosecutors effectively rendering moot a law backed by Governor Brian Kemp and other top Republicans until lawmakers overhaul the measure. Well, the six-page ruling said the state's top court had grave doubts about whether it had the constitutional authority to approve, uh, to, to approve of the rules set forth by the Prosecuting Attorney's Qualifications Commission, a step required by the law. It's a big deal. Now, and I quote, because we are under no legal directive to take action, the most prudent course for us is to decline to take action without conclusively deciding any constitutional questions. That's what the order says. Now, that puts the law on hold. 
While the commission began accepting complaints earlier this year under Senate Bill 92, it can't take any action until the Georgia Supreme Court approves a set of rules and code of conduct. Now the battle over the commission is being closely watched, partly because Donald Trump's allies aim to use the law, that new law, to punish Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis for seeking election interference charges against the former president. Talk about partisan. Yeah, the order dealt a blow to Kemp and other Republicans who championed the law earlier this year as a way to punish rogue prosecutors over the objections of Democrats who say it flouts the will of voters. And it does. Now, the law, among a spate of Republican-led efforts nationwide to uh, exert more control over liberal prosecutors they accuse of neglecting their duties because they refuse to enforce low-level drug offenses— anti-abortion restrictions, and tough-on-crime crackdowns. So they're trying to target liberal prosecutors. It's very clear. But it's also attracted scrutiny because supporters and critics both say it could be deployed against prosecutors investigating Trump specifically. Now, that's what happened last month when Georgia's Senate GOP leaders filed a former complaint to the commission seeking to sanction Willis, Fonnie Willis, even though Kemp and House Speaker John Burns said there's no evidence that Fulton prosecutor violated any state law. Well, the court's decision on Wednesday came as little surprise. Earlier this month, the court questioned whether it had the legal authority to approve the rules, prompting a response by the Association of Prosecuting Attorneys that labeled the commission unlawful. At the heart of the legal back and forth is the question of whether the judicial branch has authority over the state's district attorneys. And that's an issue that the justices said they weren't ready to resolve. Quote, in short, we have grave doubts that we have the constitutional power to take any action on the draft standards and rules. That's from the ruling itself. Went on to say, but deciding the question of whether we actually have the power would require deciding difficult constitutional questions of first impression outside of the um, adversarial process. Now, the Senate passed a floor amendment during legislative debate that would have removed the Georgia Supreme Court's role in the process, but the change wasn't adopted by the House, and it wasn't in the final version that Kemp even signed. So even so, Georgia lawmakers are expected to amend the legislation next year to remove the Supreme Court's role. But the commission still faces a broader legal challenge from a bipartisan coalition of district attorneys who argue that the measure is definitely unconstitutional. Yep. So even when it's over, it's not over. It's never over. We will always be fighting for voting rights. All right. Next up from Reuters, a Florida judge found reasonable evidence that Tesla chief executive Elon Musk and other managers knew the automaker's vehicles had a defective autopilot system, but still allowed the cars to be driven unsafely. That's according to a ruling. Judge Reed Scott in the circuit court for Palm Beach County, where Mar-a-Lago is, ruled last week that the plaintiff in a lawsuit over a fatal crash could proceed to trial and bring punitive damages claims against Tesla for intentional misconduct and gross negligence. The order has not been previously reported. The ruling is a setback for Tesla after the company won two product liability trials in California earlier this year over the autopilot driver assistance system. A Tesla spokesperson could not immediately be reached for comment on Tuesday. The Florida lawsuit arose out of a 2019 crash north of Miami in which owner Stephen Banner's Model 3 drove under the trailer of an 18-wheeler big rig truck that had turned on the road, shearing off the Tesla's roof and killing him. A trial set for October was delayed and had not been rescheduled, and still isn't to this day. Brian Walker-Smith, a University of South Carolina law professor, called the judge's summary of evidence significant because it suggests alarming inconsistencies between what Tesla knew internally 
and what it was saying in its marketing. Quote, this opinion opens the door for a public trial in which the judge seems inclined to admit a lot of testimony and other evidence that could be pretty awkward for Tesla and its CEO. And now the result of that trial could be a verdict with punitive damages. Now, the Florida judge found evidence that Tesla, quote, engaged in a marketing strategy that painted the products as autonomous and that Musk's public statements about the technology, quote, had significant effect on the belief about the capabilities of the products. Scott also found that the plaintiff, Banner's wife, should be able to argue to the jurors that Tesla's warnings in its manuals and click wrap agreement were inadequate. The judge said that the accident is eerily similar to a 2016 fatal crash involving Joshua Brown, in which the autopilot system failed to detect crossing trucks, leading vehicles to go underneath tractor trailers at high speeds. Quote, it would be reasonable to conclude that the defendant Tesla, through its CEO and engineers, was acutely aware of the problem with the autopilot failing to detect cross traffic. That's from the judge. Banner's attorney, Lake Lightall, said they are, quote, extremely proud of this result, uh, that it's based in evidence of punitive conduct. The judge also cited a 2016 video showing Tesla vehicle, a specific one, driving without human intervention as a way to market the autopilot. The beginning of the video shows a disclaimer, which says the person in the driver's seat is only there for legal reasons. Quote, the car is driving itself, it said. That video shows scenarios not dissimilar than what Banner encountered, according to the judge. Absent from this video is any indication that the video is aspirational or that the technology doesn't exist in the market. And that's what the judge wrote. So this is going to trial. All right, we'll see what happens. This last one's from Rolling Stone. Now, since the conservative audiences flocked to Sound of Freedom this summer, turning a biopic about Tim Ballard's supposed exploits as an anti-trafficking operator into an unlikely hit... Ballard has had his heroic mythology rapidly stripped away in a series of lawsuits, formal rebukes, and dissolved relationships. Now, but in recent days, his legal problems have gotten even worse. And now Operation Underground Railroad, OUR, which is the advocacy group he founded in 2013, that's also in the crosshairs as well. Well, and a little trigger warning for uh, sexual assault in the story. Ballard was apparently forced out of Utah-based O-U-R, before the premiere of Sound of Freedom, based on information emerged after the film's release and his press tour in September. Reports confirmed, by the way, that he left due to internal investigation related to sexual misconduct claims. Now, the following month, five women filed lawsuit alleging he had sexually assaulted and emotionally abused them while they took part in O-U-R's operations, which typically involved traveling abroad and posing as sexual predators in sting operations meant to catch pedophiles. Now, a second lawsuit from an unnamed married couple claimed that such behavior between Ballard and the wife of an on-undercover operations had caused the pair to separate. Now, Ballard has denied these claims and statements made through another anti-trafficking organization called Spear Fund, that until recently listed him as a senior advisor, but no longer features him as a team member at all on the website. Now OUR has made efforts to move on after cutting ties with Ballard, but a new lawsuit from an ex-operative targets both the group and its embattled founder. Also named in the filing is OUR's former director of security. That's Matt Cooper. That's Ballard's first employee there, by the way, who is likewise no longer with the organization. Well, the suit brought by social worker Bree Ryder a Marine veteran who reached the rank of corporal, pertains to the men's alleged sexual misconduct 
on an undercover mission and a severe eye injury she sustained during a training exercise in 2021 at an OUR gym. That's according to Vice News, which reviewed the entire complaint. And this is a quote. Ballard was present and refused to call an ambulance because he wanted no record of the event occurring at OUR's training. This is what the suit said, by the way, with Ryder going on to require extensive surgery, the plaintiff, extensive surgery on an eye socket implant to replace a shattered orbital bone that she had suffered long-term vision problems as a result. Again, that's all in the filing. Now, in the suit, Ryder also claims that she traveled to the British Virgin Islands with Ballard and Cooper where she was assigned to act as Ladder's romantic, as the Ladder's, meaning as Cooper's uh, romantic partner in an undercover strategy Ballard had called the couple's ruse. Other women suing the ousted OUR leader alleged that he would use this as a pretext to coerce them into having sex, purportedly to convince potential traffickers that their false identities were authentic. He's so gross. In this case, Ryder alleges Ballard used the arrangement to pressure her to have sex with Cooper. Furthermore, she claims Ballard and his own couple's ruse partner treated the mission like a debauched vacation. Just visiting bars, strip clubs, massage parlors, and now attempts to reach Cooper were unsuccessful, not surprising. And a quote from the story, It became very evident to the plaintiff that OUR only focused on allowing its celebrity founder, defendant Tim Ballard, to live the lavish lifestyle of a wealthy sex tourist and sexually manipulate and abuse employees, contractors, and volunteers under the guise of saving children. This is what from the, the lawsuit. The filing also claims that OUR showed little consideration for the safety of its staff and volunteers, focused instead on crafting a marketable public image. Now, Sound of Freedom by the way, would be the ultimate result of those branding efforts, that movie that was released. Now, in a statement shared with Rolling Stone, an OUR spokesperson attempted to downplay Ballard's role before his departure. He said, while Tim Ballard was the public face of the organization during his tenure as CEO, he directly participated in less than 1% of OUR's operations between January 2020 and his departure in June of 2023. The organization said that in a statement, adding that the allegation that OUR is the alter ego of Tim Ballard is false. Yeah, it's not just civil suits dogging Ballard at this point. The Salt Lake Tribune reported last week that a criminal investigation had been opened after Celeste Boris, a former assistant of Ballard's and one of the women suing him for sexual and emotional abuse, made an official police report earlier this month in Linden, Utah. Now, this, too, prompted a statement from the Spear Fund which sought to cast doubt on the verified criminal complaint against Ballard. The story, Spear President Ken Krogh alleged, he said, is designed to stir up a media frenzy to harm the reputation of Mr. Ballard and to impede his and others' efforts to fight the sex trafficking industry. Fuck off. Now, if Ballard is arrested in connection with Boris's sexual assault complaint, it would, be near, it would nearly conclude his swift and stunning fall from national acclaim in the span of just six months But even without charges filed in this case, it seems unlikely that he's ever going to recover the kind of reputation that he once saw that, you know, that once saw appointed to a White House anti-trafficking advisory panel by then President Trump, which right away should tell you there's something fucking sketchy going on. Yeah. Anyway, as Boris put it in a statement to the media on Thursday, and I quote, the very organization that claims to fight traffickers turned me over to a trafficker. What? (laughs) Oh, he's so gross. It's awful. He's he's not on Epstein level, but he's he's definitely part of this, like not part of the Epstein thing, but he's he's right in that ilk. 
They're cut from the same cloth. What a piece of shit. Yeah. And her statement, the organization that claims to fight traffickers, turn me over to a trap. That's exactly what, what happened. Yeah. Uh, well, hopefully, uh, it doesn't sound like, um, he's going to be having a very good time over the next couple of years, uh, and well-deserved. All right, we have to take a quick break, but I'll be back with Mario Nicholas. He is the uh, the lawyer, the counsel for plaintiffs in the Colorado lawsuit, now going to the Supreme Court of Colorado for an appeal. So everybody stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, the holidays are here and it's easy to miss the family and friends who can't celebrate with you in person because they live far away. This is one of the many reasons I love our Aura Digital Frames. It is a new and unique way to keep you connected to those who matter most, especially around the holidays. Aura is a digital frame that is connected through Wi-Fi that displays both photos and videos beautifully. Aura Frames has a high-resolution display, so your photos look like real prints. And they come with unlimited storage, so you and your loved ones can upload as many special moments or funny moments and memorable moments as you like. It's easy to do with the Aura app, and it's super secure, which is always good for your peace of mind. Aura Frames comes packaged in a premium gift box with no price tag, and it's the perfect gift for any occasion. They've also been selected the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and The Strategist, and it's one of Oprah's favorite things. Yay! You get an Aura Frame, and you get an Aura Frame, and you get an Aura Frame. You know, I have a family member that lives on the other side of the country. I have a whole bunch of family in Cleveland. I miss terribly around this time of year, and we use our Aura Frames to share pictures back and forth. Gardens, Browns games, homemade baked goods, all of your holiday photos, videos, messages. It's amazing. I'm excited to share our special moments from this holiday season with each other. It makes us feel so much closer, and I can't wait to show them this year's holiday decorations, too. Aura Frames have made it easier to stay connected. I can't recommend them enough. Aura is having their best deal of the year. Right now through Cyber Monday, you can save $40 on the perfect gift at AuraFrames.com slash DailyBeans with promo code DailyBeans. That's $40 off their best-selling frames by going to AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A. F-R-A-M-E-S dot com slash Daily Beans and using promo code Daily Beans. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody. Today's show is also brought to you by Delete Me, an amazing subscription service that monitors the web for your personal information and deletes it for you. Having your personal info all over the Internet can make you vulnerable to identity theft, online scams, robocalls, which never seem to end. And they want to talk about my car's extended warranty. And bad actors out there, too, that want to dox you or stalk you. And that's why online privacy matters so much to me. We can protect ourselves with Delete Me. For me personally, having the political views that I espouse puts me at risk from the baddies on the Internet that want to harass or dox me, especially since I filed my lawsuit against the former guy. It's just way too easy for them and other people who want to run phishing or phone scams to obtain my personal information from these data brokers. That's why Delete Me is so important for my peace of mind. Delete Me finds and removes all that personal info I do not want out there. My subscription constantly monitors and removes those data. It's not just a one-time thing. It removes those data from the largest people search databases, and that helps keep me safe. It helps cut down on robocalls. It even helps with junk mail, like snail mail junk mail. All you have to do is sign up with Delete Me. Let them know exactly what information you want deleted from the interwebs, and they take care of the rest. My favorite part is the regular personalized privacy reports that Delete Me sends. They detail what they found, where they found it, and what they removed. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now, at a special discount for listeners, today get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to 
joindeleteme.com slash dailybeans and use promo code dailybeans at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash dailybeans and enter code dailybeans at checkout. Again, joindeleteme.com slash dailybeans, code dailybeans. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody, welcome back. I promised you an update from counsel for the plaintiffs who have filed that suit in Colorado to keep Donald Trump off the ballot, pursue it to Section uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And um, and now the uh, application for appeal went into the Supreme Court, along with the appeal itself. And here to discuss it is counsel Mario Nicholas. How are you today? I'm well, Allison. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you. First of all, congratulations, Counselor. Your application to the Supreme Court for appeal was accepted. Yep. Uh, we are we are on the way in the Colorado Supreme Court. So we have filed our one um, issue with the Colorado Supreme Court that we had with the lower court ruling. couple of questions, because I, I know that the Trump side of, of this case filed uh, in their application and they asked for a few things. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. They filed. Uh, they also filed an appeal on the same day, um, and they asked for the because they love because they won so hard, right? Yeah. They won. They won. It, he's fully exonerated, perfect, um, and that's why they're appealing. Yeah, yeah, and, and not just on one issue or two issues or three or five or six or eight, but in fact on eleven different issues. Eleven, eleven issues. Not enough fingers to count it on two hands, unless you're a six-fingered man. I mean, I guess Princess Bride and all that. Count Rogan Maybe. could do it, yeah. Right, right. So outside of that, um, they have eleven issues that they're trying that they've asked the Colorado Supreme Court to review, and they asked. Um, so Colorado Supreme Court has a, a word limit; they're only so long. They don't want War and Peace written to them. Ninety five hundred words, a lot of words in a brief. Uh, Trump asked for nineteen thousand. Uh, the court has come back since then and said, "No, we're going to stick to the ninety five hundred. So he'll have to find some way to not only answer. The brief that we submitted. So we actually submitted a brief when we submitted our application. Uh, Trump did not. He not only has to answer that, but he has to bring up his 11 issues in that 9,500 words. Um, lawyers are uh, long-winded, and I, I think that there's likely to be a trimming down of the issues uh, for them. Either that or it will be very, very difficult to get in that time. The other thing that I think is important is the Colorado Supreme Court understands that ne- this needs to happen very, very quickly. Uh, we have a January 5th certification deadline in Colorado. And if this is going to be heard by the Colorado Supreme Court and then potentially by the U.S. Supreme Court, they know they have to move um, expeditiously. And that what they have done is they have required Trump to file a briefing on Monday. So his answer to our brief, plus his entire brief on his side, um, will have four days to answer that. So by the next Friday, he'll have three days after that to answer um, and, and do a reply on the following Monday. That Wednesday, so two weeks, uh, two weeks from yesterday, uh, will be uh, oral argument for the Colorado Supreme Court, and I'm sure that they will issue a decision very soon thereafter. Um, so, it, it, I, I think we could be looking at, you know, a very, um, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping sometime um, before uh, mid December we get a decision. That would be outstanding, especially if it goes in your favor. You only have the one issue. He's got 11 and he got his 19,000 word count uh, leave a court motion denied. And he has to file by Monday. I, I 
don't know who said it, but I, I, it rings in my ears right now. If I had more time, I'd have written a shorter brief. Winston um, Churchill. Thank you. I, I think that that's going to be exceedingly difficult for Trump's attorneys to do over the weekend. Although I'm, I, I think I heard somewhere he hired these three attorneys just to deal with this specific case. But I may also be confusing that with the gag order appeal in D.C. I mean, there's only 800 things that he has going on in court right now. Right. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see if he can fit um, his his reply and his appeal uh, in into 9,500 words, especially after he asked for more than double that. Uh, but yours came in uh, uh, under w- along with the application. You filed it at the same time. 9,500 words, and it is uh, pretty direct, right to the point. I've gone over it uh, bit by bit and my favorite parts. But what, what are your favorite parts of this particular brief? Yeah, you know, I mean, well, I think that it was brilliantly written. Um, uh, I want to let you know, Jason Murray from our team is the one who took the lead on writing that. Um, we all we we had we take a team approach and work together and sh- share the burden. But he was kind of the lead um, from the Olson Grimsley Murray um, law firm. And my favorite part, and and it was one of the things that I had brought up, and then I think that he worked in was that um, Alexander Hamilton uh, in Federalist uh, sixty nine writes about the presidency, and so Jason worked in there that. Um, talking about the original Constitution and whether they thought officer was included, where Alexander Hamilton says the president will be an elected uh, officer of the people. So he he wrote in there, nor, you know, uh, nor does the court need to determine whether Alexander Hamilton somehow misunderstood the usage of the term officer in the 1780s. I thought I thought that was when I read that line, I, I actually guffawed. Um, I thought that was pretty funny, um, particularly because because this judge based a lot of of her decision on the actual Constitution and and saying, well, other parts of the Constitution um, don't use it in this way, and so it kind of tends to make me think they didn't mean to include it. So uh, tough to argue with Alexander Hamilton, um, but I think the more the more pressing issues are what the Fourteenth Amendment drafters thought about it in the eighteen sixties. Uh, and we have included ad nauseum a long list of reasons why it is very clear they thought that the uh, presidency was an office under the United States and that the president was an officer of the United States. Yeah. And the two the two parts that stood out to me are, first of all, the common sense paragraph like th- this just just to to say that an insurrectionist president can't run for Senate, uh, any other office but the highest office in the land, it, it it doesn't stand up to the to scrutiny, common sense scrutiny. But I also like the part where you say, listen, if this is the case, all kinds of crazy things can happen. Sure. You know, and some of those examples were great. Can you share some of those examples? Like, like if we say that this is that the president is an officer of the United States, here's some nutty stuff that could go that could go down. Right. I mean, so you're talking about things where we've got we, we don't require officers in the United States to um, answer to a religious, um, you know, uh, they have they have some someone could make a religious qualification and, oh, you have to make a religious uh, fealty. Uh, that doesn't apply to officers in the United States, but if the president isn't an officer, then it wouldn't apply to him. Um, you know, it's things like that that are out there. Furthermore, um, one of the one of the issues was regarding the oath that he takes. Um, and the oath, the the only oath that's prescribed by the Constitution is for the president, and, and the president is required to uh, 
um, preserve, protect, and defend the United States versus in Article 6, it says, you know, all officers will uh, take an oath to support the United States. Um, you know, by the logic that the judge had, had put together, um, that would mean the vice president probably wouldn't need to swear any oath whatsoever to the United States and would somehow negate the president actually swearing an oath to support, even though, um, as, as we wrote, it, when you look up the definitions from dictionaries of that era, you know, to support, protect, or defend, also, or to preserve, protect, and defend also means to support. Defend means to support. So we, we thought it, it was just some of the juxtapositions. We just said, look, you know. And there was a judge, right, in the 1860s. I think you put this in your brief or, or, or a way long time ago uh, under Section 3 saying it doesn't have to be exact, the words here. It just has to convey the meaning generally. Yeah, that's right. One of the uh, one of the judges. So remember, this is this was used most uh, right after the Civil War. Um, and one of the judges went through and discussed it and said, gave a jury charge um, and said to the jury, look, it doesn't have to be precisely the same oath. It's just that they took an oath and the oath is effectively the same thing. Um, and, and so I think that was that should be pretty persuasive. I think the there are debates that we, you know, we pulled newspapers from back then. There are debates between members of Congress where they talk about it and they say, oh, well, of course, it includes the presidency. Um, there Jefferson was Davis. Of, yeah. Yeah. A lot of debate about Jefferson Davis and whether he would be eligible for the presidency, because under under this ruling, Jefferson Davis couldn't run to be a congressman, couldn't run to be a senator, but could have run to be the president. He couldn't he couldn't be an elector to the presidency, but he could actually be the president. So I, I think that's, you know, one of the things that we put into uh, put a lot into this. And, and, you know, I, I want to be clear, you know, as we talk about this, it sounds a little silly and, um, you know, the other side's going to have their say and they're going to try to push, you know, their position. And as far as this judge goes, I, I we still think the judge did incredible work. Um, so much information over such a little period of time with such a little help, uh, maybe a couple clerks, um, you know, and, and, and she did say that this one seemed to be a tie. Uh, it's just the tie goes to the runner and that the last footnote in her decision effectively says, hey, look, when you've got a tie, you should side with the norms, you know, democratic norms. Um, in this case, that means allowing him onto the ballot. Now, we don't we don't think it's going to end in the tie. We, th we think we think our our case is much stronger and arguing it before the Colorado Supreme Court. We think that uh, we have a very good argument for them to uh, overturn that. And you and I talked a little bit offline about actually how this her decision uh, where she ruled in your favor on everything, everything, everything up until that very last cherry on top of the Sunday actually works in your favor because it might not have been appealed by the other side. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, since, since we had, since we were ruled against, we, we had the power to go ahead and directly appeal um, and make an appeal. Um, and I, I don't, I can't, I don't want to read Donald Trump's mind. I don't think that many people want to try that anyway. Um, but whether it's him or his counsel, there was always the chance that if if we won outright, uh, they might have chosen not to appeal and they might have just kind of written off Colorado um, and not appealed. And so not had a a more important ruling overall. Um, but going up to the US, going up to Colorado Supreme Court, um, it looks like we're kind of going all that way anyway. And I, I don't know, uh, you know, again, maybe Trump just couldn't take a loss anyway. And if he had the loss, he. He would have had to try to appeal that. I mean, they're obviously appealing those eleven issues, 
So no, he totally won. I'm sorry. He totally won everything. (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) hence the 11 issue appeal that he's going to have to scrunch down into into 9,500 words. That that alone, I'm very interested to see. Um, how his attorneys can pull that off. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it doesn't allow for thorough discussion, I think. And it, it, you, when you have these appeals, typically there are a lot of things that you think that you can appeal, but good attorneys whittle it down. And they whittle it down and narrow and focus a court on this, particularly particularly when you know it's not, you already won a case. You say, hey, look, we need to really defend this area. And then maybe we raise a couple more. And, and I mean, it makes sense for them because hey, if they lose on the officer thing, they want to have at least some chance to win the other ones. Um, but I don't, you know, a lot of the other issues they're going to try to appeal, the court does no deference. Um, or it owes a lot, actually, the court does owe a lot of deference to the lower court. Um, any factual findings require that the uh, appellate court give deference to the findings of the finder of fact, in this case, the judge, um, and that they will only overturn on clear error versus a matter of law, like whether the presidency is an office of the United States. Um, that's a matter of pure law. It's reviewed de novo. Uh, the appellate court might take a look at it, you know, the opinion, and they'll understand the opinion and the district court took, uh, but they make up their mind completely independent of that. And they get to do, they get to review the briefings we provide and say, okay, this is this is what's convincing. This is what is not. Yeah. And it's that factual finding that I think is what's going to make it uh, really difficult for somebody like Trump or Trump's lawyers who Trump is going to be saying what he wants to have in this filing. Uh, It's going to make it uh, very difficult for them because they're going to now have to spend a bunch of time arguing um, things that are more political than they are pure error on the part of the factual findings. And it's going to upset Trump because he's not going to be able to do his long-winded political stuff that has no purpose and it's just incendiary. Um, and, and so when they should be spending time finding what that, what their idea of, uh, uh, you know, an actual error is in the factual finding and arguing that point, it's just not going to be that sexy to Donald Trump. He's not going to want to hear it. Uh, not that I could think of an error that they might uh, come at you with. But meanwhile, you have gotten to to write 9,500 words on your one issue. And so I think it's a, a wonderful, it's an incredible uh, brief. It's um, well-written. It's succinct. It makes sense. Uh, everybody that I've shared it with is like, oh, here's a, here's a legal briefing that I can, you know, that I can understand. This makes total sense to me. So um, we uh, will keep an eye on this, of course. And um, I appreciate you keeping in touch with me about it. Is there anything else you want to say about um, about this appeal before we before we get out of here for, for Thanksgiving? No, I think the next couple of weeks will be uh, interesting and fun, and uh, we will see where it goes from there. But uh, keep on keep an eye on Colorado. Absolutely. I, I'll, I'll help everybody do that. So I, I appreciate you keeping me in the loop, my friend. Everybody counsel for the plaintiffs in the Colorado suit to keep Trump off the ballot pursuant to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Mario Nicholas, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Allison. Goodbye. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Near. 
Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, if you want to play what the mutt, uh, what the heck wine, opine on the bovine, what the hell's in that shell, cat me if you can, I mean, anything, anything you want to <laughs> send to us about animals, we'll try to guess. Um, as your pod pet photos also, we love to see your pets. Holiday pictures, what you're doing this year for the holidays, a happy place, a shout out to a loved one, a small business in your area, or your small business. You want to send us Whoopi stories, blanky stories, stuffed animal stories. Or if you have a misheard song lyric, we haven't heard one of those in a while. We'd love to hear about it. Or just an aha moment or shit kids say or shit you say. Baby pictures, frog orgies, whatever you want to send us. <laughs> send it to us at dailybeanspod.com. Send in shit Alice and her Dana says. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there's a good one. <laughs> shit AG and DG say. <laughs> send it to us at dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, you're okay. <laughs> we have a note from the producer. There are no Sholo eats quintly in this segment. Thank you for making me say it again, producer. I appreciate you. Uh huh. He loves you. First up from Sue, no pronouns. Hi, you beautiful beans queens. A very small pronunciation correction. Volodymyr Zelensky would no doubt prefer if you did not pronounce his name in its Russian version, Vladimir, but the Ukrainian version, Volodymyr, as the long O's, like both, Volodymyr Zelensky. That's it. No big whoop. Thanks for your tireless feeding and watering of the bean patch. Love that. Oh, my God. I love that. All right. This one's from the anonymous HRC veteran. Hello, Beans Queens. I'm finally caught up after being out at sea. Mm. I'm currently serving on a warship near the Seattle area. A coworker who is trans has educated me over the last two years on what it means to her to have me as an ally. Now, I was so inspired hearing AG's support of Dana's work that I signed up to volunteer at Seattle's HRC dinner. To my delight, I got to meet some amazing souls and gain more insight on what HRC does. I was able to witness a community of people whose way of life and well-being are under attack through poor legislation or lack of acceptance. Spread love and joy. And it was just beautiful. Thank you to the moon and back for sharing a moment with me and taking a selfie, Dana. Your comedic relief in a world filled with injustice is much needed. AG, thank you for your service, shipmate. I appreciate what you've done for those of us who wouldn't have been hard-pressed to find abortion services in states where we may not have had the choice of being stationed. Mm. You're a lighthouse as I navigate what seems to me, excuse me, to be unforgiving times. Happy holidays from my pet family, Cleopatra and Sasha Fierce. And Anonymous, I don't know if you heard the episode right after the gala, but I gave out props to you. It was such a joy to meet you and your beautiful smiling face. Thank you for your service to the country and for volunteering for the gala in Seattle. It was just, it was a joy to meet you. And look at the kitties. One has a beautiful look shell necklace. Look at that. And then the other is laying in a bed of poinsettias. Absolutely so beautiful. beautiful. Thank you for that. And thanks for your service too. Huh, Seattle. Bremerton? Interesting. I've had a ton of friends who were scared, uh, who were stationed on ships up in up in the Washington area. So anyway, again, thanks for your service and thanks for the kitty kitty pictures. Very beautiful. Next up, major headache. No pronouns. Thank you for giving me and all your listeners the news we need every day. I rely on you and Dana for the sliver of sanity in these crazy times. I'd like to offer a correction to an expression that you and plenty of other podcasters have been misquoting as long as I've been listening. The correct saying goes, as she is wont to do. That's want, without an apostrophe. 
which means one's customary behavior. I keep hearing people say, as she is wont to do. Well, I pronounce W-O-N-T, want. Sorry about that. I have never used that sentence in my life. <laughs> I am want to do. I, I, I pronounce it want, W. I pronounce W-O-N-T, want, instead of won't. I am want to do. I, I pronounce it want, uh, which really doesn't make sense grammatically. Let's bring back won't, I guess, is I think what Major Headache is saying, that they, they prefer it be pronounced won't. Alternatively, if you want to avoid using the word won't, substitute tendency or habit which would have the same meaning. Again, love the beans and all your shows and listen to them all faithfully. And I totally related to AG's comment about becoming fascinated with birds as we get older. As an example, here's a picture I took yesterday that includes both a blue heron and an egret. So thank you for that um, major headache, but I, I'm going to keep pronouncing it as I am want to do. Uh, I'm going to keep pronouncing it want as I am want to do. Uh, that's how I've always heard it. Um, uh, and Maybe, I don't know, I'll look it up, but I I spell it W-O-N-T when I write it, if that helps. <laughs> I wish this. I could back you up on this. I have never heard that sentence before this submission. Oh, ever. really? Yeah. As I am wont to do. Hopefully I'm not the only person. It sounds very Shakespearean. Mm, perhaps. Uh, look at, yeah, perhaps. Look at the blue heron and the egret. Beautiful photo. Where is that? Yeah. I want to go. I, I want to go to there. As it does look quite beautiful. As Liz Lemon would say. Okay, this next one is amazing. I know. This is from Amy, pronouns she and her. Good day, my lovely beans queens. I love you so much. All I really needed to say is that you really don't want me to take my whole family with me to vote. <laughs> they are all Republicans, although thankfully not full-on Trumpers. I'm a lonely little blueberry in my own home. I'm going to try to persuade them not to vote or to vote third party. Wish me luck. For pet tax, here's Max and my Republican dad. Max weighs 165 uh, pounds and loves to have dad hold him up. Max is huge. Is this like a Golden Retriever Pyrenees mix? It looks like it. Maybe even some St. Bernard in there? I have no idea. It's a big ass dog. It looks like just a giant Golden Retriever is what it looks like. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, try to persuade him not to vote third party, not to vote Republican, or just not to vote. Just stay home. If they're going to... If they're going to vote red or third party, just just stay home. Um, but, you know, a lot of times a lot of folks have been able to say, hey, for me, for my rights, for women's rights, could you just please this one time? It would mean a lot to me. Let's see what they say. Yeah. Next up from Felicity, pronoun she and her. Hi, AG and DG. Congratulations, Allison, for approaching the over 50 bird lady stage. <laughs> I've written in before about my front yard bird feeder and shared photos of my favorite visitors. This time, I'm bringing you birds of a different color in response to your call for booby pictures. Ten years ago, my husband and I were lucky enough to go to the Galapagos. Oh, we're going to see some blue-footed boobies, I bet. Yep. Alas, we weren't there during the last the season when the boobies were everywhere. But I did find a nice pair to share with you. I'm wishing the whole Beans crew <laughs> a happy Thanksgiving. There they are, blue-footed boobies. It's a lovely pair of boobies. Thank you so much, Felicity. Yes, a pair of boobies on the rocks. I mean, they're just so cool. They I actually are. just got a couple hats from a, a friend of mine's business. Hey, maybe, am I allowed to shout out a small business on here? Sure. All right. Just because it's blue-footed boobies. So one of my very dear friends in the world has a business called Be Mo Kind, B-E-M-O-K-I-N-D. And she sells t-shirts and hats. And like, I have this hat that I wear all the time called Love, um, Love, uh, 
kindness revolution and love is upside down and you can see it, but she's got blue footed booby hats <laughs> that she sells and she's got shirts and, um, beanies and it's just be more kind. And it's a great message. So listen, if you want to support a small business, I don't know if there's a note cause she has no idea I'm doing this. So I don't know, maybe you guys will crash the system, but it's be mo kind, be kind.com. And so go support her. She, I've known her for since we were 18 years old and I'm so proud of her for spreading joy in this world. And the, the swag's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Blue-footed booby hats. That's incredible. Yeah. And be mo kind. Heck, heck yeah. You know, I mean, what have we, what have I always said in a world of performative cruelty, kindness is punk as fuck. Be yeah. punk as fuck. Holidays are coming. Do it. Dude, blue-footed booby hats for Christmas for everybody. Fuck yeah. So good. You know what? I don't see a lot of red-footed boobies. I feel like we need more red-footed boobies. Uh, in the oh, world. those are the Republican boobies. We don't want to be anywhere near them. Oh, you're right. You're right. MAGA <laughs> boobies. Mm-mm. Nobody likes those. Yeah. Next up from Patty, pronouns she and her. Hello, Beans Queens. Finally, my day has come. I'm sitting here listening to the episode of The Need for Speed when you started talking about how, at a certain age, you begin identifying birds and suddenly own binoculars. This is 100% accurate. I now feed the wildlife so that I can watch them eat, which is a bizarre thing to say out loud. And yet here we are. When Dana asked if a group of tits was called titties, I snort laughed along with you. (laughs) I have the same schoolyard humor, and I'm here to validate that claim. Thank you. Years ago, there was a newspaper article about the challenges of global warming, forcing birds to migrate at different times into different zones. So this caused stress and conflict that resulted in the adorable little songbirds going on a voracious rampage. So the title of the article was along the lines of murder tits or voraciously violent tits. (laughs) Did I feel bad for nature's struggle? Yes. Did I snort laugh at the titles? Yes. Did I giggle like a schoolgirl when I acquired my new email address? (laughs) Fuck yes. Murder tits. My friends and I are now proud owners of a few bird-themed email addresses, which definitely include the phrase, great tits, murdering tits, tits on a rampage, etc. So thank you for the laughs. Thank you for keeping me sane during the past 40 years. Or does it just feel like 40 years? Greater tits unite. And here's a tit. And with a, is that a tit mouse with a tit? Uh, yeah, that is just a mouse. I, it looks like he's killed it, but also looks like a trophy or the mouse is just playing dead in the snow. But either way, <laughs> that face of that little yellow tit is like, don't fuck with me. And I'm wondering if that's a tit mouse. So might be. We have we have a pair of titties in that place. There you in go. That, in that in that case. All right. Thank you all so much. I hope you are having a wonderful holiday. Don't forget to pick up those MAGA phones and subscribe to the beans for them. And uh put the child lock on Fox News app. Yes. Yes. Um and uh yeah, have fun. I hope the discussions go okay. I, I by the way, did you see the Les Dog, you know, Leslie Jones, her SNL skit where they're like, for twenty nine ninety nine, you can have Leslie Jones come to your house and interject when people start talking about bullshit. <laughs> I didn't see it. <laughs> it's so good. If you have a chance to look up the the Saturday Night Live, look up SNL Leslie Jones Thanksgiving, because she, you know, at first she just interjects and says, "You gonna you that's you really gonna bring that up today? That's what you want to talk about when everybody's happy eating food? 
But then later on, they're like, and, you know, if she can sometimes just go back to basics and somebody will, you know, some older woman is like, let me tell you what I think about the transgenders. <laughs> and she does air quotes and and Leslie just goes, ah, ah, like just starts yelling right in her face. <laughs> <laughs> I ah, love that. Ah. <laughs> uh, and then she sneaks up behind this like a teenage kid. She's like don't you talk about that MAGA shit or I'll tell everybody you use Nana's Wi-Fi to jerk off. <laughs> <laughs> I love Leslie. She's so funny. I used to do shows with her yeah. up in Hollywood and she's just a brilliant stand-up and a, a wonderful human being. So give that do a know watch. She got, do you know she got cast on SNL when she was 47? <laughs> so if any of you are like, hey, it's way past my prime, can't do this, can't do that. She was one of the oldest cast members on Saturday Night Live, mm -hmm. and she kicked ass. Yeah, 100%. I was 45, 44 when I started the Miller She Wrote podcast. There you go. So, And uh, if you're thinking about being a comedian, you usually got to be a comedian for about 10 years before big stuff starts happening. Just throwing that out there. So That's ten, true. It's a 10-year rule, right, for comedians? Yep. I started Some people in, get lucky, but not 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 often. Yeah, I started in 2008, and it was 2017, uh, 2018 when the podcast started. So, ten years. There you uh, go. Or ten thousand hours, <laughs> which is hard for a comedian because <laughs> we work in five and ten minute sets. Anyway, <laughs> everybody, I hope you had a wonderful holiday and continue to have a wonderful holiday weekend. We'll be back in your ears tomorrow. We aren't going anywhere. We got shit to do. We're working. We're doing it. Um, so I look forward to that. John Fugelsang will be here tomorrow. Do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here today, my friend? Just the, what you would probably think is wishing everyone a very happy holiday. Love those around you, hug those around you, uh, unless you don't know them, then don't touch them unless you're vaccinated and, um, just try and find something to be grateful for. There is something every one of us can be grateful for. That reminds me of the, um, do you ever see Cartoon Planet with Space Ghost and Brack and Zorak? I don't think so. Oh, I love that song. Brack was my favorite. Hey, everybody, I'm Brack. And he had this song called Don't Touch Me. And it was just, you know, da, 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 don't touch me. And he would just walk around and say that. It's um, amazing. So now you have two things you can look up. Leslie, yes. Saturday Night Live, Thanksgiving, and Brack on Cartoon Planet, Don't Touch Me. It's an excellent music video. I know you'll enjoy it. All right, everybody, that is our show. We'll be back in your ears tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. And take everyone except your Republican family with you, but also do and make them vote for someone that's not Trump. And take care of your family. I think I left that out. I've been AG. Yeah, and I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>